us. Thank you, Jesus.
mighty. You are victorious. You are worthy of our praise. You are high and lifted up in our lives. You are high and lifted up in this place, in our city and in the nation, in the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. We praise Him this morning. We praise God Almighty. I've been mulling over Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Here they were, you know, some of the words in that song was, you know, in a place of despair. And yet we, we say, you are always with me and I will praise you. Well, Paul and Silas were in despair. They had been beaten. They were chained up in prison. In Acts chapter 16, you can read that. And they stepped into a, a, a place of praise. They stepped into it. I will praise you. They began praising Almighty God from a place of being beaten, from a place of being chained up. They said, I will praise you, God. They lifted their voices and stepped into praise. And what took place was an earthquake. An earthquake happened upon them when they stepped into praise. An earthquake and their chains fell off. The chains fell off them. The chains fell off the other prisoners. They were set free, totally free. And not only were they set free, but the, the jailer was like, oh my Lord, I want this Jesus. I want this Jesus. You've been set free, I wanna be set free too. When we step into praise, not only do our chains come off, but the chains around us, of people around us will come off when we step into praise, despite whether we are in a place of despair. Actually, when we are in a place of despair, we need to step into a place of praise. How are you feeling this morning? If you're feeling good, if you're feeling in a place where you're not so good, maybe not such a great week, let's step into a place of praise because there is power in praise. Chains will come off, I declare in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. We lift our praise to you today. We lift our praise to you. May you be glorified. No other name, no other name but yours be lifted high in our lives. No other name but yours be lifted high in our homes, in our city, in our workplaces, in our schools. No other name but yours be lifted high. Thank you for freedom taking place in our lives. Thank you for freedom taking place in lives around us. Thank you for, for, for communities set free. Thank you for families being set free as we read in Acts chapter 16. Thank you for, for lives being set free in our city. This week, I declare, lives being set free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a, proud, a round of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Nothing is impossible with you. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church this morning. Great to see you. You're looking amazing. Yes, you are. You may be seated. If you're here for the first time, it's great to have you here this morning. Welcome. Welcome to Activate Church. Enjoy yourself this morning. Relax. Hope you've enjoyed a coffee in the crossover cafe or a cup of tea. 
We're in for a fantastic morning this morning. Well, look, let's celebrate. Have we got any celebrations this morning of birthdays or wedding anniversaries happening this morning? What's happening there, Lance? Martin. Birthday. Today, last week. Martin, you're hiding, aren't you? <laughs> birthday, happy birthday. Join Martin. Any birthdays, wedding anniversaries? Happy birthday, guy! <laughs> Is it? Come, come, let you at church. How about we all stand together? Does anyone else want to run down here? You got your chocolates. That's important. Good. How about you take another one, eh? Then it's just two of you. Take another one. Let's declare blessing. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity, purpose and protection over them this year. Activate your loving goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy birthday. Maybe being taken out for lunch today, maybe? It's an idea. Oh, my shout. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of things coming up. This Actually, this coming Sunday, Pastor Graham Lauridson is going to be with us. That's going to be great, all the way from Melbourne. He's going to be with us all day this Sunday. Please keep an eye on the Activate News, too. That uh, is emailed out every week because there's lots of things happening, isn't there? So keep an eye. Oh yeah, there's been some, some vacancies, some job positions in, in the Activate News. So yeah, keep an eye on the Activate News. There's always some good things happening in there. So if you don't receive the Activate News, uh, just contact the office and we can get you signed up for that. Plus, also the, the following Sunday, so this coming Sunday is Pastor Graham Lauridson. The following Sunday, we have Ray Andrews in the house. Our lovely Irish psychologist is going to be with us. It'll be a great day with him. Uh, and just want to update you with the missions. So, in the last month, too, we have been receiving faith commitments for our global missions. Isn't that great? So our global missionaries can stay over global, otherwise they'll be coming local. But that's amazing. So here we have it here, 108 commitments. That is the cards that we filled out. 108 cards have come in with a total of 275,000. Isn't that awesome? Great. And this is our little update slide. Elska is amazing. Is Elska in the house? Wherever Elska is, she's amazing. She um, has put together this little, uh, the, the footprints there for us to see. And when the footprints are filled in, can you see the green ones that, are, that get filled in there? 
Then that, you can see the key on the left-hand side, 10,000 given is one of the filled-in footprints. So that actually represents, those filled-in is around 36,500 already come in. So isn't that great? So what we want to see is we want to see green footprints right across the globe there as the finances start to be, as, as all of that 275 come in. So that's exciting, isn't it? And if you haven't had the opportunity to fill out one of the faith commitment cards, then this is something that we do as a church family. This is something that we do to support our global missionaries. They're a part of us. This is what we do with global missions. So um, the cards are still there on, on the, uh, at the giving stations, both exits on your left when you go out. So you can grab one of those cards and fill that out, uh, and that would be great to, to get that uh, that number up there. That'll be awesome. Great, eh? Yeah. Yes. God bless our global missionaries in Jesus' name. The kids are already out this morning. They are uh, watching a movie. I think there are two, two rooms happening. Downstairs cafe for kids under seven and the youth hall for kids over five. I believe the five to seven-year-olds get to choose, aren't they? Privilege. They get to choose which movie they would prefer to watch in those rooms. So God bless our amazing teachers that are getting a break today. School is back tomorrow. Back into it, eh? The term. The term is, is back and up and running tomorrow. So students, I declare blessing upon you this week as you go back into schools, into your place of study, blessing and wisdom, strength in Jesus' name to go and conquer those schools. Take Jesus in there. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in our praise and worship this morning. It is a privilege that we are able to give something to God that He does not already have. We can give Him worship. We can give him worship. Isn't that great? A privilege for us to be able to to bring that to him this morning. So we're going to step into that place. We already have, haven't we? Stepping into that place of giving him our all. How about we stand together? Thanks team. As Jane said this morning, Paul and Silas were praising And this morning, we want to join. We want to join in with the praises that have gone before us. Yeah. And we're expectant that God is moving. We're expectant that as we praise, as we worship, as we put Him first, that jail doors will break, chains will break. Thank you, Jesus.
soul to thee. I've been pondering on it quite a little bit lately and quite a little bit doesn't make sense anyway. Pondering on it lately and you know scripture tells us to sing a new song to the Lord. To constantly sing a new song to the Lord and one of the really really powerful things about music is the fact that it engages our emotions. Music is emotional and um there's a big difference between having our emotions engaged and emotionalism. But music engages the emotions. And, you know, we could, we could play an old song now, an old hymn, something that you've connected with sometime in your journey with Christ. And you go, oh, that song, the anointing's all over it. It's powerful. It's amazing. What you're actually saying is that something happened at some point when I was singing that song and my emotions connected with God and something powerful happened. And I think that God wants us to sing new songs for exactly the same reason. Because our emotion connects with Him. Our emotions connect with Him. We're created with emotions for a reason. And through the, the music stirs our emotions and our emotions connect with God or we connect with God through our emotions and it almost it creates like a PowerPoint. I mean, something of the presence of God and something of our praise and worship and our emotion all comes together and pow. And God wants those moments for us all of the time, not just when we think back to the old days and the old song that we sung. And that's why I'm a proponent for singing new songs all the time, because we need, we need to connect with God today. Not just mind, not just mind, not just head, but emotionally in our soul we need to connect God today, we need to connect with God tomorrow, we need to connect with Him the next day. And can I encourage you just to open yourself before Him for a moment, even now? Because the Holy Spirit's here. And I sense there is a moment here for a power.
Father, those that have come into this place this morning carrying weight and burden, as we hand that to you now, I ask that you would lift that weight, that you would remove that burden, and there would be freedom in your presence. we take authority in the name of Jesus over sickness and we command it to leave bodies spirit of infirmity command you to go in the name of Jesus Christ that there would be a release of health and healing in this place in Jesus name We command you to go in Jesus' name. Where there's been oppression, we release liberty and freedom in Jesus' name. This morning, Lord, specifically, I speak to shame. I command shame to be gone from people's lives in Jesus' name. Father, where there's been Shame trying to make its way in. This morning I release identity in Christ. And your spirit of grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, and peace. People's lives in Jesus' name. 
get a real sense of the Holy Spirit's at work this morning. I believe he's going to plant some seeds over the next few minutes as well. That will bear fruit in the right time. Father, I thank you for their faithfulness. And again, I declare blessing in Jesus' name in every area of their life, their family. We declare the blessing of God in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would rest on them both this morning. Fresh touch, fresh love in Jesus' name.
Well, this morning I want to pick up on Stephen and take a seat if you'd like to. Thank you, guys. That's beautiful. I want to pick up on the life of Stephen and started to to look at. Uh, you remember Stephen was uh, one of the seven that were chosen to lead the church. Remember that apostles said that in the book of Acts, chapter six, they said. Uh, We've we got all this stuff going on. It's absolutely crazy. We can't keep up with what's happening. We're no longer doing what we need to be doing. The people were complaining that the, the, um, their wives were being treated, the Greek, the Jews, their wives were being treated differently, and um, they needed to be treated the same. And uh, the apostles said, well, it's you Greeks that are complaining about this. You can fix it. We appoint seven of you. You're now leaders in the church. And uh, we get the, that's where we get our word deacon from, or that's the first, we see them as the first deacons appointed, but they were, um, they were appointed and they ministered powerfully in the church, got things sorted out. But I want to, well, I started a few weeks ago, actually, to look at Stephen. And if you remember, Stephen uh, was a man full of power and grace, power of the Holy Spirit and grace. And uh, he was a performer of miracles. He was also the first martyr in the New Testament, the first martyr in the church, and which means he was killed for his faith. And we started to have a look at the speech that he made in front of his accusers. And um, I was thinking about it. I thought, oh, we should keep going through that. We only looked at the first couple of verses. So we're going to keep going through it today. I've got another 13 points this morning. And um, you think I'm joking? I haven't. I only got two of them done in the first meeting. So we're not going for a record here. We're just See how far we get. So, uh, so we'll look at his life. I find Stephen to be an incredibly inspirational character. But before we go there, I want to give you perhaps a little warning when we start. Because living a purpose life, my theme is practical steps to a purpose life. Living a purposed life may not be what many of you would consider a balanced life. Living a purposed life may not be what many of you would consider a balanced life. When we're sharing the message of Jesus, when we're full of passion and purpose and we're fervent for the things of God, when we're committed, when we love the Lord, these words are generally not followed by the word balanced. They're, they're full-on words. They're, they're like in all or nothing. And I've discovered as I read the scriptures, I don't even think we're called to live a balanced life. If you can find the scripture anywhere that says I'm called to live the balanced life, can you show it to me? Because it will make life easier. But I don't see it. It's because it's not there, I don't think. What I do find in scripture is that we are called to be sold out for Christ. All of us called to be sold out for Christ. In fact, a balanced biblical life is a life that's sold out for Christ. That's what it is. Yes? Yes, good, just checking. Your faces weren't telling a story, so. A balanced life for Christ is a sold out life for Christ. I, I recently had some stuff happen, and, and um, it left me feeling a little bit, I suppose a little bit wounded, a little bit bruised, a little bit undervalued, a little bit unjustified. And um, 
which will surprise some of you because that's, you know, I'm a human. Yeah, amazing. I know, I know. Pastors are humans. Incredible, eh? Actually, pastor's just some label they made and stacked on me. Human first. Um, and I was feeling a little bit that way, and I said to Jen, well, I decided to myself I need to pastor myself a little bit. So I was doing that. And I said to Jen, why does this hurt when I'm dead? Well, at least I'm supposed to be dead. This shouldn't hurt me at all. This should just bounce off me. Because dead people don't hurt. Dead people don't feel anything. How many of you here of, uh, of us have been baptized? Look, the majority of us. So you're all dead. Amazing. You actually look quite good for dead people. But you're all dead because that's what happened when we got baptized. We died to self. So the thought of living a radical life for Jesus that's going to get a few bumps and bruises along the way shouldn't be a surprise to any of us because we died to self when we were baptized. We came up a new creature in Christ. The old man is gone. The new has come. Theoretically, I'm dead. So these things shouldn't have hurt me. But I'm human as well, and it takes a little bit of working through these things, and I find that I'm living in the strangest of times. I'm living in what I would like to describe as the health and safety era. We got the health and safety talk this week, which was very nice, but nonetheless, it was a health and safety talk. And, and we live in this era, era where we try to mi minimalize risk of everything in this era, don't we? Everything. We try to wrap everything in cotton wool. I've stopped and I've thought about my childhood. I've got no idea how I'm still here. <laughs> Unbelievable. I remember my grandparents used to live in Tauranga, and I can remember going to Tauranga and coming back late at night in the car, and my parents, sorry, they're here, I don't want to dob them in, but they used to lie us out in the back of the station wagon to sleep. No seatbelts. How on earth am I still here? You should wear your seatbelt. Just saying. But we live in this health and safety crazy world. That's in the physical. Yet in the moral, we kind of live in this no consideration of risk whatsoever world. Don't we? There's no consideration. Whatever, whatever you want goes. I mean, according to the world, I can be Sheridan the man standing here today. I could arrive at work tomorrow, Sheridan the woman. And on Tuesday, I could be the Sheridan. i got no clue what I am, but it's okay. That's a crazy world. Just think about it. Apply logic to it. Take your PC hats off. Some of you are staring me like I just turned into the devil. Take your PC hats off. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So we've got the health and safety physical world. We've got the nutcase moral... Oh, that's not very nice. We've got the stuffed up moral world. And that's not very nice either. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? It's stuffed up. It's stuffed up, okay? And somewhere in this crazy world... I'm called to be a disciple of Jesus. So I think a balanced biblical disciple of Christ is a radical life in today's world. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a radical life in today's world. Absolutely radical. Stephen, just a thought. 
sidetrack. In um, Acts chapter six fifteen, you know where Stephen he's he's been um, he he's been um, condemned. He he's been framed basically by the people, and he's starting to mount his defence, and he glows. His face glows like an angel. Do you remember that bit in the scripture? Yeah. I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 6, verse 15. I, oh, hang on, wrong book of the Bible. Still the wrong book of the Bible. Here we go. It says, At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Isn't that amazing? He was like, he was on the defense, but his face. Have you ever stopped to think what the expression might have been on his face? This is just a random question, I know, but have you ever stopped to think what the expression might have been on his face at that point in time? You see pictures every now and again, don't you? The, the meek, mild, smiling Stephen, like it's all going to be okay. But kind of, there are angels of judgment as well. I've got a funny feeling that if he had looked at you when his face was, you know, it talks about Revelation, talks about Jesus' eyes being like fire. I've got a funny feeling that if Stephen, I reckon his eyes would have pierced your soul that day. Just the holiness, because holiness does that. That the holiness of God, he would have just pierced your soul. And Amazing. Anyway, it's nothing to do with anything, just my inquisitive mind. But I find Stephen absolutely inspirational. Not because I want to be stoned to death. Far from it. But I find his character inspirational. Because the times that Stephen was alive were mucked up as well. We've got our health and safety and everything else here. Well, these times weren't a whole lot better, let me tell you. And, and, but his character is absolutely inspirational. Because how many of you know that when you're under pressure, the real you comes out? You know, when I say the real you, I mean the bits that haven't quite been fully redeemed yet. Yeah, we all have them, eh? If you're human, you have them. So don't try and sit there holier than thou because I know. Remember, I'm a person too. When the pressure comes on, that's when the cracks appear. That's when that, you know, that little bit that, you know, you haven't quite surrendered fully to Jesus yet pops up its ugly head and, and rears itself. But Stephen... Man, you don't get under more pressure than this. He's under pressure facing death, unto death. He shone literally. His character shone. His faith shone. His resolve shone. And his legacy still shines. What an amazing guy. An incredible guy for us to get encouragement from today. Anyway, Father, I pray that over these next few minutes, uh, anything I say that needs to be heard would really take root and would produce great fruit. Uh, for us as individuals, and those things that don't apply would drop to the ground, and um, we wouldn't think about them again. But Holy Spirit, those bits that do take root, I ask that you would water them, that they would produce great kingdom fruit uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. So previously, we, um, we looked in uh, Acts chapter 7, we started there, but in Acts chapter 6, we see that Stephen, this mighty man, he's framed. They framed him just like they framed Jesus. They got liars up to try and condemn this guy, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because he didn't like what he was saying. And so they framed him. And in Acts chapter 6, 8 to 15, it reads like this. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, 
Wonders happen, don't they? But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, which is interesting because they were religious people that weren't free in any way, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the, peop- this roused the people. Have you noticed that people that are controlled by a religious, just a random thought, religious spirit are very easy to rouse? Very easy. Carrying on. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Simon and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say this, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At that point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face began, became as bright as an angel's. So last time, which is a while back, we looked at three things around purpose living. We looked at number one, so carrying on now in chapter seven, Stephen Speech's response. Number one, we looked at uh, this thought, take the opportunity presented to you or create one. Stephen took a great opportunity. It was only half an opportunity. He took a whole opportunity. Um, The second was from verse four, talking about Abraham, and that was to step into the promises of God requires leaving of the familiar. You can't step into the promises of God unless you're prepared to leave the familiar. And thirdly, we looked at often the working out of God's promise in our lives looks completely different to the fruit of the promise. So today, we're going to carry on with this wonderful sermon of Stephen. So starting at verse chapter 6, I encourage you to read chapter 7, read the context of what he's saying of his sermon. Um, We haven't got time to do that right now. Verse 6 says this, God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign, that's Abraham, God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they could be oppressed, where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. My thought is this, to truly live a purposed life requires a long view. To truly live a purposed life requires a long view view. Abraham knew what it was to think generationally. When the promise was made, he didn't have any descendants. There was no one. It was just a promise, yet he shaped his life around what God promised him, and he shaped it thinking about the generations to come. God said to him that your generations, descendants, are actually going to be captured. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years. That's how far out Abraham's now thinking. 400 years before they'll be freed. So Abraham had learned to think generationally. The exact opposite spirit is shown to us by King Hezekiah in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 20 says this, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. Context, the message was not good. The message was that after his lifetime, that nation would be captured and taken into captivity and that his, his sons would be taken into captivity. That was the message. Hezekiah says, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking at least there will be peace and security 
during my lifetime. Now, I think Hezekiah represents the typical Kiwi mindset. Not judgment, observation. Represents a typical Kiwi mindset. In other words, I'm worried about me. Now, I don't know if this is because we're a fairly new nation or if it's because we're people, probably because we're people. So I would say the typical Kiwi mindset is it's about me. It's about what I can get out of life. It's about what I can do in life, what I can achieve in life. And as long as things are peaceful in my time, sweet, that's good. But that's a complete opposite spirit to Abraham. Abraham would have been saying, okay, how do I have to approach life? I've been thinking a lot about this lately. How do I need to approach life so that my kids are going to be better off, my grandkids are going to be better off, and my great-grandkids are going to be better off. And in fact, he would have gone great-great-great-grandkids, etc. How do I need to approach life with a generational mindset? This is what Abraham had, because I think, as I said, it's very easy just for us to think about ourselves. But what about, what would happen if we approached life, if we started to think outside the box a little bit, rather than just getting ourselves through to the end, if we started to say, what do I need to do so that my kids are going to have it better than I did? Not only that, what am I going to need to do so that my grandkids are going to have it better than my kids? And what could I do now that's going to mean my grandkids are going to have it better than my grandkids because they had it better than my kids? Different way of thinking, isn't it? Totally different way of thinking. But it's a generation. I think it's a, I see as I read the scriptures, it's a biblical way of thinking. You know, what do I have to do now? And I'm also the recipient, I'm the legacy of. But what do I have to do now to leave a spiritual legacy for my family? That's going to impact my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, just as my parents and grandparents and Jan's parents and grandparents' legacy has impacted us. What am I going to have to do for the generations? What am I going to have to do? How do I need to think if I start to think, what's our family heritage going to be in three or four generations' time? Because I don't know about you, but unless you do some research, you don't have to think back very far and we lose a grip on our phobias. How far back, how many generations can you go back remembering or knowing names or or some details about their life? I like that uh, Ancestry.com thing spend a bit of time on it trying to go back. And, but we don't actually know that far back. I wonder what we could do if we started to think with a generational mindset, multi-generational mindset for legacy of family going forward. I'm thinking in the realms of finances as well. What can I do now that's going to help bless my children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren in the future? When I say bless them, what's that mean? It means what's going to help make their life better for them then by me doing something now? I don't think, as Kiwis, we often think like that. But I think it's a biblical way of thinking. I think a purpose life now will help them then. Make sense? We're thinking about it. Eh? No? Okay, that's all right. I'm going on with you, agree or not. We carry on to the next verse. Verse 7 carries on 
straight after that, slaves for 400 years, and says, but I will punish the nations that enslave them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. thought I'd pull out of there is that our journey's pathway is often flavored by our attitudes and obedience towards God. Our journey's pathway is often flavored by our attitude and obedience towards God. I think his purposes will be outworked over time. But our response to him, him, will help shape our journey. It does not mean, well, when I say our response to him, I'm encouraging us to stay close, to be intimate, to walk closely with him. But our staying close to him does not guarantee that our journey will not have any bumps. Because that is called life. Unfortunately, John 4, 6, though, says that God opposes the proud. So I, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want to be working in opposition to God. That, that's not going to work out good on any day of the week, working in opposition to God. If he opposes the proud, op- opposes is not, has a signum, you know, it carries the, the thought of action against. It's just not, ooh. It actually opposes. If I'm opposing, I will push back. He opposes the proud. The 400 years that was mentioned in the verse before, that was discipline, basically for, proud, for pride and rebellion. It was discipline. And I think if my attitude before God is one of submission and surrender and I'm walking in intimacy with him, it does not guarantee me a smooth life. But it does guarantee me that God's not going to be pushing back at me. And that's got to be helpful. I wonder what your attitude is toward God this morning. I wonder if it's an attitude of cooperation or what it is. Observation of Kiwis again. Don't label this judgment. It's observation. Observation is, Jesus, I will serve you. I will serve you with all my being. I will love you. I will do that. But then the second that something happens, it's like, oh, you mean it's going to cost me something? You mean it might be a bit tough? Ah, uh, yeah, let's backtrack. I want the cushy number. It just seems to be in our nature that we do that kind of thing. I look around. Observation. I look around. You could look around you. There, there's people that are part of our church, and they won't be here this morning just because they're not. Again, not judgment, it's just an observation. It's the world we live in. But surely that's something of the culture of the world coming into the church, not the other way around. So the Bible tells us it's good to meet together. Now we all have stuff happening. But as a lifestyle, you go, eh, it's gone the backwards way. What do you mean? They met together every week? Actually, they were in the, they, they met more than that. They met together every week? But that, that'll cost me something. That means I can't have my latte on a Sunday morning at the local whatever. Well, so? What do you mean it's going to cost me 10%? 10, oh, Jesus, I, gave, I died to self. Yeah, I died to self. But 
Surely there's a way out of that. Hang on, there'll be a clause here somewhere. Oh, flip, it's in the New Testament too, darn it. There's a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost. If we want to walk close and we want to stay intimate with him, there is a cost to it. Don't let the cost put us off. Revelation says this, and I'll read it to you because it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, Revelation 3, 14. It's the church of Laodicea. You'll know it. It says, um, where am I reading? From verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that really you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I love this next verse. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. That is another way of writing Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. It's saying seek the, the, the gold of the king that has been refined. That's the kingdom of God. And buy the white robes. That's the purity of righteousness. So, so the scripture just repeats itself again. How do we live in such a way that will really cause us to be on the front foot with God and walking intimately with God? We seek first the kingdom of God and we live righteously, or we, by gold that has been purified by the fire, the kingdom fire, the king's gold, and also by the white garments. But it's so easy for us to back away the moment there's a... A mention of cost. There's quite a few quotes lately. Um, the Chinese church. The Chinese church are sending missionaries into the east at a phenomenal rate. And they are saying, we will succeed where the western church failed. And they're saying, we will succeed because we will give our lives for the gospel. The western church aren't prepared to do that. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? It's worth thinking about. What cost is too much? How shaping my life in order to work with God, to partner with God, to walk intimately with God, how much is too much? Will it save me from life's issues? No. Life happens. We're on a fallen planet, fallen world. But how much is too much? What cost is too much? What cost is too great? I'll try and fit one more point in. Verse 9. Oh, go back to the right book of the Bible. Acts chapter 7, verse 9. These patriarchs were jealous, so this carries on straight after that, you know. Hang on. Yep, carries on straight after that. Blah, 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 punish the nation. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Hang on, gone one too far. One page too far. 
Just something in me that wanted to miss the circumcision, but here we go. Verse 8, God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at the time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day, and the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs of the nation of Israel. My thought there is this. When a person walks closely or purposed with God, it will leave a permanent mark. It will. It'll leave a permanent mark. It shapes generations. It shapes and it leads a permanent. But of course, we talk in today's world, New Testament, we're talking about circumcision of the heart. It's of the heart. But I am absolutely convinced that my life looks different because of Jesus. My family life looks different because of Jesus. Despite behaviors, attitudes, issues, and anything else, it's the mark of Jesus on our lives. It's the mark of Jesus on our family. It's the mark of Jesus on our world that shapes it, that makes a difference. It's the mark of Jesus on your life. Where would you be? What would you be doing? What would your life look like if you hadn't encountered Jesus? Who knows? I know mine wouldn't look like this. That I do know. What would it look like? Stephen preaching his heart out through this passage and the situation was worsening for him the whole time. You know, it appears that everything is turning to custard, and of course we can read the, the passage. We know that they stoned him to death at the end. But in God's economy, things are different. Now, I want to encourage you with this as we finish, because living a purpose life isn't always a bed of roses. Sometimes we can be doing the best we can, the best way we know how, and it's all going pear-shaped and everything else. But God's economy looks different to our economy. And so Stephen is about to die, yet in God's economy, truth has been revealed. In God's economy, a legacy has been established that is going to last forever. In God's economy, Saul is on a journey. In God's economy, there's an accurate biblical um, preaching of the gospel here. In God's kingdom economy, he is often working the most when he appears to be working the least. Often, he is working the most when he appears to be doing absolutely nothing. So can I ask you a couple of questions? Where is God working in your world? Where is God working in your world, but you haven't seen him? But maybe if we stopped and we took a step back, even amidst the chaos, we could go, oh my goodness, God's actually working there quite powerfully. Where's he working in your world? Because he's working. Where is he waiting for our response? Or where is he waiting for your response? Maybe it's your move. Maybe he's done everything. And now it's your move. That's what happened when Jesus came to the cross. He died on the cross. Took the weight of the world on his shoulders. On his life. The sin of the world, literally, on his life. Three days later, he was resurrected from the grave. Triumphant over sin and over death. And the Bible tells us that if we believe, 
that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we will be saved. In other words, he's done everything that could be done. The next move is ours. And sometimes as we go through life, Jesus has made all the moves. The next move is ours. What does a purpose life look like for you? What's a kingdom purpose life look for you, like for you? Perhaps the next move is yours. Can I ask you to bow your heads just for a moment? So I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning. I'd love every person to leave this meeting knowing they're in relationship with him. So I just said he went to the cross, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, resurrected three days later, having paid the price for the sin of mankind, enabling us to reconnect with the Father. That connection with God was broken in the book of Genesis and it was reestablished with Jesus on the cross, but it's now our move. We've got to choose. And this morning, if you're here and you've never made a decision to invite Jesus into your life, or perhaps you have, but for whatever reason you've stepped back, today, come on, you need to step up again. It's your move. But even my heart that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, and I confess with my mouth that he is the Son of God. I will be saved. In other words, the relationship with God will be connected, reconnected. And that affects me now in this life powerfully, but also into eternity. This morning you may have never chosen him, or for whatever reason you have stepped back. Today you're going, I've got to step up again. In just a moment I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if you're saying, Jesus, today I want to get things sorted. Today I want to come into relationship with you. Today I want to choose you. Today's the day. Often when he's prompting us, the Holy Spirit, our heart will be throbbing away and hands might be sweating. He's probably speaking to you right now saying, come on, come on. Let's get things sorted today. Let's get, let, let's get things in the right place today. Let's live purpose today. know you need to respond and if you do and today's your day can you please lift your hand right now so I can see it I just want to say well done thank you I see your hand it's fantastic awesome anyone else this morning I've seen one hand so far if you're thinking they're going wow this is a bit abnormal no this is the most normal thing in the world this is what Jesus went to the cross for we can say, yes, God. Yes. Just wait a couple more seconds. Make sure I see your hand, please. Fantastic. Well, the Bible says, one person gets their life right with Christ. The angels are having a party. In other words, heaven throws a party. Can we please give this person a massive beginning? Fantastic.
wonderful. I would like to give you one last thought just as I finish for you to think about. And that is this. How are you living a purposed life? How are you living a purposed life? And how can I improve? How am I living a purposed life? And how can I improve? Father, I declare your blessing over your church. Lord, wherever we are this week, whatever we're doing, I declare by faith that we will be like Jesus. We'll be the answers to solution. We'll be love where love is required. We'll be peace where peace is required. We'll be hope where hope is required, that we will be quick to release the power of God into any situation that needs you, and that our city will be a whole lot better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great words. Thank you, Sheridan. Who's looking forward to the next however many points that we missed out on? About another 12 of them to come. It's great. Very good. Stephen, eh? Wow. Oh, how many want to go where Stephen went? Good on you, guy. Gotta die to self, don't we? We don't even hurt. <laughs> Die to self. Take up our cross. Help us, Lord. Give us strength. He's with us always. Amen. Amen. He is with us. Oh, I hope I didn't discourage them. <laughs> hope you're feeling just full of encouragement, full of courage. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Our oranges break together on a Sunday. Half time, being encouraged, filled up with courage to go out and to be an incredible blessing to take Jesus into our world. Karen is going all the way over to Singapore on a missions trip this week. God bless you, Karen. May you be filled with his courage this week. May God do an amazing thing in you and through you. Amen. Well, if you've we're with us for the first time today. Do hope that you enjoyed your, your morning with us. If you didn't manage to pick up a welcome pack um, on your way in, we have some at the back there. Thank you for waving that around. Um, please, yeah, pick one up. We'd love to get to know you so you can fill in the card inside and we will be in touch with you this week. And we pray that you have an amazing week this week. Tonight, we have Pastor Sheridan again, and maybe we will have a few other points come up tonight. I think there may be some, yeah, selected ones for, for tonight, so you might get to hear a few more of them this evening, 6 p.m. tonight. That'll be great. Also, if you do have kids here and they're out in the movie, don't forget them. 